Welcome to another episode of the Confessions of a Recovering Landlord podcast, where you'll learn the secrets commercial landlords would prefer you not know. I'm your host, Jan Gibbons, along with my co-host and experienced commercial real estate broker, Bob Gibbons. That's me. Brought to you by Riata Commercial Realty, where we exclusively represent users of office and warehouse properties. Landlords have representation. Do you? Welcome back to the Crystal Ball Station. Well, at least we try. How about Can the Crystal you... Bob Station? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we have better luck with the crystal ball. I mean, can you imagine how much money we'd have if even 60% of our predictions came true? Hey, if it, we were in baseball 30 or a third of the time and you're a superstar. Right? right. Well, still fun to keep prognosticating. Although we did get penicillin for that. So everything's good now. All right. So what are we doing here? We're talking about uh, well, the the number one prognostication I think anyone with a pulse can make and feel quite confident it will come true in 2023 is well, the Fed continuing to try and fight inflation by raising the Fed funds rate. Yep, and yep, they have been doing that, and you know this last one they just did in here in December, they uh, at least reduced it down to half a point instead of three quarters of a point. So uh, I don't know if that's an indication that um, they feel like it's working and they can slow it down now, or if they're uh, just thinking that the more it goes up, the the smaller the increments need to be, but yeah, they're clearly doing this. And, uh, and I have heard that it's actually working in some, in some ways, I don't know if it's because of stock market doesn't like it. Well, yeah, but stock market's never going to like rising inflation so you know interest rates inflation and equity values on wall street are all are inversely uh related so that's that's to be expected but um you know historically um real estate has done well in rising inflationary times um you know we'll see if that's the case in this situation for single family homes, you wouldn't think it is because, you know, we've been on such a tear for so long, uh, people buying houses way over, over asking price with the combination of uh, uh, inflation where interest rates are higher, making it harder to buy anything and, or as much as you would have otherwise bought and um, slow down in the housing, um, actual trading Supply. of houses. You know, I think that this one may, it doesn't look likely that residential values are going to continue to go up, you know, for, for office. We've already seen it in our area, not going up. In fact, coming down. Well, and and houses being on the market longer as Mm -hmm. well. I think we're going to see that. And not as much supply. I think we're going to see that in commercial as well. I mean, office was already hurting for other reasons, but um, interest rates for, um, for industrial purchases have definitely had an impact and uh, I've I've been talking to a few industrial brokers recently at some uh, SIOR and CCIM events, and uh, and they've definitely been talking about how their pipelines <clears throat> for um, for buildings for sale have really dried up, or um, or the ones that are on the market are sitting on the market a lot longer. So, how does this movement by the Fed affect things like construction, supply chain management, rental rates? 
et cetera. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that because I, I would argue that it doesn't have a direct immediate impact um, because lagging indicator. Right. It, that's, that's a good way to say it. it it's definitely lagging. Cause like, for example, in construction, you know, if the rising interest rates curb inflation, then the, the increase in the price of construction materials shouldn't be going up as much and potentially could even come down. Um, so how does that affect construction? Well, that means, you know, it's less, it's not going to be as expensive as it otherwise would have been to build something. On the other hand, at the same time that you're trying to curb inflation, if you're having, um, you know, if, if businesses are pulling back on their demand for real estate, then you're also going to potentially have a situation where now rental rates are not going to be growing as much or may may come down as well because there's just not as much demand for the space. So you have your classic supply and demand issue. So it, it's kind of a, a combination of things that could be going on. And if, you know, if people aren't leasing as much space, they're not doing as much construction. So now you have general contractors and subcontractors getting more hungry to, to do work. So they might reduce their prices at the same time, construction materials are also reducing or not going up as much. So, I mean, all these things are so interrelated. It's, but then uh, can you can you field a crew? If you're going down on your prices, you don't have as much money to pay your crew. So the construction manager may not have a crew with which to bid for new business. Um, except that if there's not as much work, then the people doing those jobs might be willing to work for a little less money as well. So, yeah, I mean, it. that's why there's so many, um, <clears throat> so many different ways that this could go. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll know for sure after it's happened. <laughs> <laughs> Way lagging indicator. <laughs> yeah, okay, exactly. so for our next prognostication, back to work. What about going back to work? Well, Is the podcast over? <laughs> <laughs> You don't know how many times. <laughs> um, it's it's a uh, I don't know. I guess I could segment this about return to work, get your behind back in the office, hybrid, hoteling, hot desking. What what does it look like? Are people going back to work? Are people opting out? Are they doing this thing called quiet quitting? I mean, what's going on in the workforce? Let's just put it that way. Prognosticate well, for that. You know, what is interesting about the, the job market is that um, I saw some headlines earlier this week, I think it was, where the, you know how the, the government always estimates the number of jobs that were created in any given month or any given quarter mm -hmm. or year. And then they go back and they revise those as they get better information. And one of the headlines that I saw was that the adjustment or correction in the number of jobs went from like a million, uh, 1.1 million jobs to 50,000 jobs. They like overstated by a million jobs <laughs> being created. Those and commas confuse me every single time. Exactly. And, and I, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't have, I didn't read that in detail. So I don't remember exactly, you know, what area of the country, if that was the whole country or just a certain region or whatever. And but, all jobs, it wasn't a segment of the market. I think it was all jobs. All jobs okay. <clears throat> but, the, you know, the point is that you know, again, we'll, we'll know only after the fact mm -hmm. and, and not immediately after the fact, but it could take some while, some time after the fact. But, um, you know, I've also been talking to a lot of office brokers and it is amazing 
how the impact of this whole work from home thing has been going. And I'll, I'll save some of these stats for later, but um, you know, with regard to return to work specifically, um, generally office brokers are pretty pessimistic about the prospects for uh, demand for office space because of this whole work from home thing and, and hybrid working. And uh, I was talking to a guy at the SIOR uh, holiday luncheon last week, I think it was. And uh, <clears throat> this guy is with one of the big houses and he does business all over the country, all over the world. In fact, he does a lot of work in India and, um, and it's even affecting people over there. And to some extent, he was saying that it's affecting the U.S. maybe more in some ways and, and the, the West, um, because if you can go hire 2000 people in India or uh, the Philippines or whatever, Vietnam, instead of hiring them in the U.S. or, you know, Germany or wherever, um, then you can not only save a lot of money, but you also might be able to get all those people to come into the office if that's what you really want for some reason. And so this work from home hybrid working thing not only is affecting a lot of different areas around the world, but it's also potentially shifting workforces um, hmm. from one area of the world to another. And um, so that was a, an aspect that I really hadn't thought of before but uh, it's it's a very real thing. Um, we had an interesting uh, request from a client this week who said, can you give me some uh, research, find me some studies on hoteling? And I was like, wow, I feel like I'm back in the 90s. Because, you know, back in the 1990s, <clears throat> hoteling was the term at the time where a lot of the big like consulting firms, accounting firms, et cetera, where they had certain people that were always on the road going out from uh, to the client locations or, or moving around from one office to another. And, uh, and so in, there was like, well, should we be giving these people their own dedicated office? There's a lot of real estate to be paying for if they're not going to be here all the time. And so hoteling was the concept where you have a group of offices, cubes, open areas, whatever. And, uh, and when, you know, Bob is, a traveling salesman and he's going into the office in Detroit this week. Um, so I check in to the office and the front desk says you're assigned to office number three or cube number eight or whatever. Uh, but then next week I'm going to be in, you know, Atlanta and the same thing happens there. And so you have a, a fewer number of seats mm -hmm. in any given location. And you might have somebody different sitting in those seats every day, every week, every month, and um, and so that was the concept of hoteling. So right now we're hearing the term mostly is hybrid workforce. Um, but the, so so when this client said, "Can you get me some information um, studies on hoteling and the employee perception related there too?" Mm -hmm. um, I was like, "Wow, that that's kind of an old term." So I kind of clarified, "What do you mean by hoteling?" And um, and he said. Um, what he said, reserving, reserved desking. That was the term, mm -hmm. reserved desking. And so you did some searching and tell us what you found the differences between hoteling and reserved desking. The analogy they use that I really like is showing up at a restaurant with a reservation or without a reservation. So if I am hot desking, I just walk in and go, Jan Gibbons here for the day. And they're like, yeah, you're in the corner. That's all we got left. 
if I know I'm going to be there and I call two or three days in advance and say, Jan Gibbons is going to be there Wednesday at 10, I'll need a cube or a conference room with a TV and whatever. Then they'll set it aside for me when I walk in. They're like, here's your pass. Come right this way. So <clears throat> it's a reservation. It's not a reservation. It's Well, the other analogy I kind of liked was um, the difference between like, let's say you're going somewhere and you're going to be staying there for a little while. Are you going to get a hotel room or are you going to get like corporate housing? So like when our son uh, went into um, Y Combinator, the Silicon Valley um, incubator, technology incubator program, he had to be out in California for three months. Well, he could have stayed in a hotel for that three months, but that would have been crazy expensive. He probably couldn't have rented an apartment for that period of time because an apartment wouldn't have been available. He would have had to buy all the stuff. So he went into corporate housing, corporate apartments. It's already fully furnished out. You can rent it by the week, by the month. And so I kind of look at it as hotel and you, you know, for the corporate apartment, you made the reservation, but it's for a longer period of time. Whereas the hotel was for nightly or, you know, it could be longer, but it could be as short as nightly. You still made a reservation for that. So the distinction between reserve desking and hoteling, I don't think it necessarily is a reservation or not a reservation issue. It's, I kind of look at it as more, you know, how long are you going to be there? What is it you're going to want? And so a lot mm. of these, now is not that, for, that's not Well, not from your, what I read, because when okay. you call in and make the reservation, you say, I'm in Tampa, St. Pete. I need a desk for a week. So you book the time that you need. And the thing that I was reading that says it's perceived better by the employees is if they get to call in. If your boss calls in and says, Bob, you're going to be in the office Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Jan, you'll be here Tuesday and Thursday. Here's your desk. Get after it. It mm -hmm. goes better for the employee if they get to call in and say, I'm going to be there Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this week. I'll need my desk, a desk, whatever. So <clears throat> I think it's two things. I think it's reserving the time allowed for it and who gets to be in charge of that reserving. Yeah. Because if so you have, uh, I talked to my girlfriend yesterday that is an assistant vice president at a large insurance brokerage here in town. And she was saying, you know, we're doing hybrid, but I just tell the people when to come in. It's not hoteling. It's not hot desking. It's not any of it because she, while she's a, they have a ton of employees, her group, I think she has six or eight in her group. And that's who she works with. I mean, she has bosses and producers and this kind of thing. But the actual group that is getting the work out that she's responsible for are about six to eight people. And so she knows this person is caring for a child. So she gives them more leniency to be at home more. This person's young and wants to get into the office. So they come in more often. I mean, she's got this, but then they all have their own desks. They're not coming in and sitting wherever they sit at the same desk each time. So if you have the real estate, that's the best of all possible worlds. Cause I have the picture of my honey up on my desk and I've got a bouquet of flowers and whatever. Well, and if it's, you're, it's best for you say it's best. What's the criteria for deciding that it's best. It's best because it makes the employee happy. And I think in a happy employee is a more productive employee and your workforce is more likely to come in. And even like my girlfriend said, we don't care. Just show up and let us see a pulse and kind of touch bases. She goes, if you want to stroll in at 10 and leave it three, 
I don't care. So that's going to make everyone work better. If I, I mean, they were describing it as someone walking in, you know, everyone's been handed their behind before, right? You walk out with a box and a plant and your coffee cup and you're juggling all this. Well, what if every day you're fired basically, and you have to bring everything back in again? I want to leave some stuff at my desk. I don't want to tote everything in every time. I mean, as you can see by my palatial desk, I've got everything everywhere. I need to know, okay, I'm just going to close this up for night, head home. Uh, my child's got to play. I've got to get to or whatever. I can leave this here. It'll be here in the morning. There's a lot to be said for that. So, so you're saying that's best for the employee, may not be best for profitability of the company. True. I know for my friend who is assistant vice president at this brokerage, it's best for her because she can walk over there and leave a note on their desk and say, see me in the morning because she knows they're coming in the morning or she knows this or she knows that or she can set down a policy and let's review this in the morning. I see some misses here. So it's I think it's on both sides. Now, if you're talking bottom line for corporate office, TBD. Well, the other problem because is if you lose employees and have to replace them, that's an extremely high proposition as true. well. But if the other problem though, I see is if that, if you tell your employees, you can come in whenever you want, then leaving that note on the desk may not get her the response she wants at the time she wants it. And, uh, and then secondly, if you're trying to get everybody into the office at the same time to facilitate camaraderie and teamwork and all that kind of mm -hmm. thing, then you got to make sure they're all there at the same time. And, um, and so then you do have to kind of dictate. So we have a client that is saying, I want to be, uh, everybody has to be in the office Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Now they don't have to be there the entire day, but they pretty much all are there between 10 and three, three days a week. And do they have that, any openings? I'm, I'm sorry. Go, <laughs> go on with your story. Well, anyway, so I guess my, you know, ultimately I think there's a lot of different ways this can go and the definitions aren't the same for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um I saw an article yesterday that would on Biznow that was interesting talking about right was it Biznow or no it may have been CoStar. And uh they were talking about how your office, uh your 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 dedicated office may be turning into a um a dedicated locker. And they showed a photo of these lockers that were kind of half height lockers and there was just like this huge long line of them in a uh, an open work environment and so basically the idea was <clears throat> each person has their own little locker for whatever stuff they want to leave at the office so they're leaving it in a locker now not on a desk they take that out of a locker and and you know go sit at whatever desk they're assigned to or that they can find and uh and so it's kind of a a, a hybrid way of letting them have things at the office, but not, ha and not have to schlep it back and forth, mm -hmm. but not have it on a dedicated desk. Stand. Right. So well, I, I'd never heard of that before. Yeah. That's a good point. I completely lost my train of thought. Well, while be... you're rethinking it. Um, so when we were looking for that, uh, those studies that the client had asked mm -hmm. for, and I, and we didn't really find anything that was really a, a scientific thing. Um, I hit up uh, David George at Crux mm -hmm. workplace mm -hmm. Uh, you know, he was a guest with us uh, many months ago. And so I asked him for it uh, if he had any studies. So he said he would send us over some. So uh, so the good news on that is that I can um, give our client what they want 
uh, through David, but also can introduce David to them. And hopefully uh, there's mm-hmm. an opportunity for them to do some business together as well. Awesome. I remembered it. It was interesting because what I'm also reading is people are going to be doing away with desks because the reason you call people into the office are for meetings. So you need collaboration time, you need conference rooms, you need conversation pits, you need the big screen TV with the president or all that kind of thing. And my girlfriend said, I mean, that's a lot of what we do is, you know, discuss and review stuff. She goes, if I have real work to do, I have to wait to get at home. I can't get anything done at work. And that was just so fascinating to me because everyone is there going, I need this. I need, I need to talk to you about this. I need a raise. I need this. Hey, I can't work with this guy anymore. They're bringing all their problems to her. And that's a lot of her job, but she also has time when she has to sit down and really think through a file. And she says, I don't even bother doing that at work. I do it when I get home because I have everything set up and I can have peace and quiet, put in my headphones and get to work. So I'm seeing this dichotomy um, bifurcation of what type of work gets done in which environment. If I need thinking time, I'm composing something, I'm writing a letter, I'm doing a spreadsheet. That's going to be in a really controlled, quiet environment, which is normally home. Unless you have a lot of kids at home or you're homeschooling or whatever. But the, the real estate need for offices, I think, is going to change in how it looks. Uh, and I think training will always be something that requires office space. Meetings don't always require it because we can do it on Zoom uh, or other things that are available like that. Teams appreciate. Uh, so there is a variety of other options for that, but there's still nothing like being in the room face to face. You can mm-hmm. see more. I mean, I still maintain that virtual meetings, as great as they can be uh, to save time and all that. Um they still are very distracted people. You know, there's a lot of people that are, have a black, a black uh, mm-hmm. screen instead of their faces mm-hmm. on there when they are on there, you know, one guy's got his webcam over there. And so, you know, it looks like he's looking away from it <laughs> or his monitor. And, and uh, you know, it's just like, are they looking at, are they paying attention? Are they involved? Right. No, they're not involved. They're looking at a YouTube video or, or reading a, an email they just got or, you know, watching cat videos, you know, so (laughs) there's so many distractions. So yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Well, my last question for prognostication is with the sublease market booming and availability, when, if ever, will office landlords get real with their rental rates? It seems like they're just not lowering their quoted, quoted rental rates. And in some cases, raising them. And I do understand the concept of, what do they say? Quality moves, moved quality. Flight to quality. So if I ha- Flight quality. If I have 3,000 square feet and I only need 1,500 now and I'm trying to lure my employees back, I'm going to go to a class A office building that has massages on site and beignets for breakfast and all oh, that other stuff people need. Sign me up. <laughs> because I'm still paying the same amount for rent but I'm having half the space, but at least I'm luring people back to work. So I understand those landlords get to kind of pick and choose what they want, but the rank and file, I'm still not understanding why I'm not seeing more movement there. Yeah. And I would say when people are the flight to quality, usually they're flying to quality because they're taking a lot less space, not because they're trying to lure tenants, their employees back uh, to the office necessarily, but because they have a hybrid or a 
uh, work from home model and they're only coming in for those meetings uh, or special things uh, or, you know, two or three days now, a week. But I'm still reading that they are doing it to get the employees in even on a hybrid basis, right. even a couple of days a week. Yeah. But uh, in any case, so when are landlords going to get real? Boy, good, good question. I mean, when we're seeing foreclosures starting now uh, or deeds in lieu of foreclosures, mm -hmm, starting, give backs. Um, you would think that would be a bellwether situation. Mm -hmm. um, the other issue is that you're seeing that um, the uh, office, uh, big owners of office, uh, REITs and such, they've got to be very nervous because, you know, their occupancies are going to be going down. Uh, when I talk well, to tenants. I'm sorry, clarify that just for a minute because their occupancy is already down, but people are still paying on their leases. But I I'm think saying, when it's really going to start hurting them is when that lease renews and they don't renew it. Well, and that's when their occupant, there's different ways to look at occupancy. There's true occupant, uh, occupancy and there's economic occupancy. Okay. So you can have a building that's 90% economically occupied, meaning mm -hmm. that it's leased and they're still paying versus 12% mm -hmm. actual occupancy and usage. So those are very different things. So a lot of landlords are looking at their actual occupancy, uh, actual economic occupancy, mm -hmm. And, uh, and kind of burying their heads in the sand and trying to milk this thing as long as they can. So to some extent, that's a big part of the problem right now is that they haven't felt the pain as much as uh, you would have expected they would have. Um, so they're going to get more real. I was talking to a friend who's a tenant rep in Denver earlier a um, couple of days ago, and we were talking about, you know, vacancy and sublease availability and that kind of thing. And then in Dallas, Fort Worth, it's estimated right now we have around 11 million square feet, maybe 12 million square feet, which is less than 3% of the overall inventory of available of of space, which is around 420,000 or 420 million square feet of office space. Well, in Denver, it's about 12% of the market. Sublease space represents about 12% of the wow. inventory uh, that's already built. It, it, he says it is a bloodbath. He says it's been a horrible year for him and mm. his pipeline is looking really thin and not, not a whole lot better for next year. And um, so it varies from place to place. I think one of the biggest increases in vacancy in the United States has been San Francisco uh, mm. where, you know, when we were in the, in the, the go-go days of all the um, tech companies, tech. Mm -hmm. they had like 3% vacancy or something. Wow. Crazy. It's like, 25 now and uh and you know they can't scare up a tenant to save their life and so you would think all the landlords would be getting getting real as fast as possible but um it, it doesn't seem like that's happening still but it it has to happen at some point mm -hmm. you know when foreclosures start happening when all those leases uh, start expiring and and companies are either um not renewing at all or doing so for far less square footage um, it's got to get real. And the fact that landlords have been able to hold on this long mm -hmm. is remarkable. If I were a landlord right now, I would do what I did back when I was a landlord, which is if I see things, you know, market conditions show that things should be cratering in terms of rental rates and occupancy, I want to rush out and I want to get every deal I can get and lock that deal in mm -hmm. for as long as I can possibly lock it in. And so if the, if the, what I think the market is for my building is $34 a foot and I can do a deal at $30 a foot and do it for seven years, I'm doing that. 
I would rather I think, do that than wait for six months absolutely. or 12 months. And then maybe the rate's not 30, it's going to be 25. Mm-hmm. I think part of the problem is landlords genuinely thought the occupancy problem was due to the pandemic. Right. And I think we're far past that. Yes, there's still illness and all that going on. But I think what we're discussing now is a wholesale shift in how people work. I don't think hybrid work from home, hot desking, hoteling, whatever you want to call it, is anywhere near over or may ever be over. And well, I think landlords must be coming around to realizing, oh, the pandemic's over, but where is everyone? There's been a wholesale shift in how people want to work and where they want to work. But I go back to our previous conversation about hoteling. In the 1990s, when hotelings first started coming around and people were talking about it, there were people that were um, proposing or prognosticating that uh, that this was going to shrink the demand for office space by half or more, and nobody was going to need to be uh, in an office or or they weren't going to be, um, nobody should be buying an office for this because it was just going to kill the office market. And that never happened. And so- but- so just let me interrupt real quick. The thing I would say that is different is no one had done that before. We've all now been exposed to the forced experiment that was called the pandemic. So we all have had to work from home, except right. your barista and an over-the-road truck driver. So we now have done it and we have seen it can be done. So that w- that's the only difference I would say from the 90s to now. Yeah, and that is a major difference. I agree. Um, but I guess what I'm where I was going with that was that that prediction prediction back in the 90s was true for some companies. And some of those companies did do hoteling and it did reduce their footprint. But there was so much demand for space from other companies that were growing, leasing more space, and just the economy kept growing and mm-hmm. therefore it absorbed the space that was out there. Um, the other thing that was going on then was that there hadn't been any new construction of office space since the late eighties because of the depression and commercial real estate at that time, because it had been overbuilt in the, in the mid eighties, they quit building in the late eighties, early nineties. And so you just didn't have any new demand or new supply. And then you had these people that were, um, you know, the economy started growing again and we, we started leasing space. So that was all happening at the same time that some people were experimenting with hoteling right now. On the other hand, we have a ton of companies that are mm-hmm. experimenting with hybrid and not experimenting. They've proven they can do hybrid. A lot of employees want to do hybrid or, or work from home. We have continued to have construction of new supply of office buildings uh, the high-end class A stuff primarily, of course, but and build-a-suit stuff. So that's continued. So the supply keeps going up, the demand keeps going down. And so that has to, at some point, reach a, an inflection point where landlords suddenly say, hey, this is not sustainable. And they either start dropping their rates or they start giving the buildings back to their lenders and and or both. Because, I mean, some of these people can't, can't lease buildings for less than a certain dollar amount without lender approval. And so ultimately a lot of this will end up in the, in the hands of the lenders to decide, are we going to adjust our rates or are we going to, am I going to take this back? And, retool the property. 
um, make an office building be an, an apartment building. Okay, redevelop it to be something else. And there is there that is happening in mm -hmm. some places. I mean, I think Especially there's in what, CBDs. There's three buildings in Dallas, I think, that are currently being discussed for that. Um, hotel conversions. Uh, so yeah, there's there is a fair amount of that. But again, that activity is you know, building by building, and it's not mm -hmm. widespread enough that it's going to make any significant dent in the overall market. I mean, because even let's just say you have a downtown office building that's 500,000 square feet that converts and you're going to have two of those. All right. So you have a million square feet and a market of 420 million square feet. Yeah. You know, it's a drop in the bucket. So it it's not going to be a market driver to any extent. Well, I appreciate your time. And 12 months from today, I'd like another date and we'll discuss how accurate you are. You're going to get a date long before that, darling. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned. Bye. Thank you for listening. And just a reminder to send in questions to see if we can stump Bob. Not going to happen. We really appreciate your taking the time to tune into this episode. We would love it if you would give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And if you are on our YouTube channel, we would love to read your feedback in the comment section. Also, be sure to subscribe so you get notified when we publish new episodes. Thanks, and see you next time. Bye.